You're listening to the Mill Sunday School Podcast. 1 Corinthians 14. This is one of the chapters that talks very heavily about the gift of tongues, and, and, and there's other gifts mentioned, and the Holy Spirit is mentioned. We're going to spend some time in this, in this passage, in the whole 1 Corinthians. Uh, we're going to look at 12 and 14 today, and some verses in 13. But 1 Corinthians 14, chapter 14, verse 1 says, follow the way of love. And he's wrapping up 1 Corinthians 13, which is about the, the love and how awesome it is. And it's the passage that's read at every wedding. And it's a really good passage. It's, it's the importance of love. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 1 says, Follow the way of love and eagerly desire spiritual gifts, especially the gift of prophecy. For anyone who pr- speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. Indeed, no one understands him, but he utters mysteries with his spirit. And then he goes on to talk about prophecy. But that idea, I just, I just saw that idea in there of eagerly desiring spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts are sometimes something that, that we're a little nervous about, or we've heard weird things about them. But Paul just commends us, follow the way of love and eagerly desire the spiritual gifts. So let's pray this morning. God, we thank you right now for, for love. We thank you for the spiritual gifts. God, we do want to seek them out. We want to ha- understand you and understand how these gifts are used. God, we just open ourselves up to anything that you have for us today. If it's not of you, God, we don't want it. But if it's of you, we're open to it. We're, we're ready to receive it. We're willing. God, we love you. We, we praise you. We thank you for your gifts. We love you so much, Jesus. And everyone screamed, Amen. Amen. Do you know that saying that says, uh, hindsight is twenty twenty. It's like when you're, when you're in the situation, you don't know exactly what's going on. But looking back, hindsight is twenty twenty. You can see clearly in hindsight. And I was thinking the other day that especially in the matters of the heart, and especially in the matters of relationship, especially in spiritual matters, I think that saying hindsight is twenty twenty is even more true in those kind of situations. Have you ever asked a, a married couple to tell them, to, to tell you their story of how they met? Isn't it awesome? Like, so you're talking to this old couple about how they met. Maybe you're single. And they're going on and on with all these awesome details of, oh, they met, and it was love at first sight. And then, uh, and then they started dating. And then they, they had their first kiss. And then they said, I love you. And then they got engaged. And then they got married. And now they're living happily ever after. Right? It's, it's every, every married couple has a story like that. It, it's a great story. And, um, and, and so if you're single and you're listening to that story, they're telling it from the perspective of already being married, knowing that they were going through this process of dating to get to where they are to be married now. So they tell it with confidence. They say, oh, and then we did this and this. And it's almost like this road that they were on and they, had, they were meant to be on that road and they were so confident while they were on it that, that they were going and getting married. And you just think, man, I want to I wanna date someone and find someone where I just know that I know and I'm so confident as I go along. But I think, I think, Hindsight is twenty twenty. I think when you're in a relationship and you're, and you're serious and you're, and you're going and you're dating, I think there's usually more hope than there is confidence. I think sometimes in, in a dating relationship, we feel more like, uh, we feel less like Romeo and more like George Costanza. Any Seinfeld fans in here? Yeah, Seinfeld fans will say that everything goes back to Seinfeld. Seinfeld, there's a show, there's a show, there's, everything has a show 
Seinfeld has a show about everything, but it's a show about nothing. It's kind of what they'll say. And there's this episode, if you want to watch it later, it's episode 109, where George is uh, dating this girl, and George wants to tell this girl that he loves her. And so he's having a conversation with Seinfeld, and Jerry Seinfeld is saying, you know, George, that's a big step to tell someone you love them. And George is like, yeah, I know, but I I think I, I might love her, so I just want to tell her. And Jerry says, you know, well, what if you tell her you love her, but then you don't get the I love you return. What's going to happen? He's like, I don't care. And George says, he says, everyone else gets to say I love you. I want to say it. And so the, the next scene is this date where George is on a date with this girl. And towards the end of the date, he, at the end of the day, he just kind of mumbles like, and, and uh, I, I love you. And, and she responds, I'm hungry. We should go get something to eat. And almost like she didn't hear George, which we, we find out later is probably what the case was, but it wasn't. Anyways, so George, having said I love you to this girl and didn't get the I love you return, is just bummed out. He's talking to Jerry and he's like, Jerry, I know now that I don't love her because she didn't love me back. No one wants to be with someone that loves them. I, I should never have told her that I love her. And, and then he's just all depressed. He's going to break up with her because he, he decides that he doesn't love her because he said he loves her and she doesn't love him back. <sighs> But then uh, Kramer comes in and Kramer is talking about the same girl and Kramer makes this comment that, oh yeah, she doesn't hear very good out of her, one of her ears. And George thinks, oh yeah, I, I told her I loved her and I, I spoke it into that ear that she can't hear very well in. So maybe she didn't hear me. So then he gets all excited and is like, well, maybe I could tell her I love her again. But it, for her, it'd be the first time and maybe she'll say it back and I, maybe I really do love her. And so the episode ends with George telling this girl that he loves her again. And she says, I know, I heard you the first time. <laughs> and so it's like, I just think in the, in the midst of situations involving the heart, involving the relationship, I think that it's a lot more confusing than, than we think. But in hindsight, it's often very clear. And he, I tell that all that big George Costanza, Costanza story just to make a comparison about the spiritual realm. And I think in the midst of, of, being, uh, of God, listening to God's voice or in the midst of reading the Bible or say in the midst of, of making a, a decision to follow Christ, in the midst of that, there's a lot of hope. There's some confidence, but it's, it's not as much as when you look back and, and, and at that event because the, the, the works of the Lord have fruit. And Jesus says in, in I think it's John, uh, let's make sure it's John um, chapter 15, verse 16. He says to his disciples, you did not choose me, but I chose you and I appointed you to bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so in the midst of, of a spiritual experience, the test of whether that spiritual experience is from God or not shouldn't be like, oh, are you, did you emotionally get, a, did you, get an get a emotional high from that experience? Did you, did you feel the presence of the Lord? Those are good things, but the true test of was that, was, was that from God should be in hindsight saying, yes, there was fruit of that experience, fruit that ended up lasting. And I think sometimes as charismatics, New Life Church is a charismatic church, um, we, we raise our hands and worship over there. Not all, everybody, but some people, lots of people, you know, it's pretty common to raise your hands and worship. It's pretty common to dance and worship. It's pretty common to flow in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Some churches that aren't charismatic would look at New Life Church and, and say, 
oh, that's just an emotional church. It's just a, um, an emotional hype. And, and I think sometimes we can almost fall into that trap as charismatics and say, yeah, it's all about the emotionalism. It, we should test everything just by saying, oh, it, was it, did it emotionally feel good? Did it emotionally feel right? And that shouldn't be the test of whether or not it was from God. The test should be the fruit. And fruit of God lasts. So we're, we're, today we're going to wrap up this talk about the Holy Spirit. This whole month we've been talking about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. We opened it up with who the Holy Spirit is, not what the Holy Spirit is. It's not like the good force, like a, like a Star Wars, the, the force. Uh, the Holy Spirit is a person, a person, a full person of God. So we talked about who he is. We talked about the baptism of the Holy Spirit last time and, and gave some terms. We looked clearly at those, the examples in the book of Acts of when the baptism of the Holy Spirit happens. And we, Remember we made that chart and said, what were some similarities and differences of each of these stories? And today, we're going to wrap up that talk and talk about um, the gift of tongues, which is, seems like a very, very big deal. But I'm going, to, I'm going to talk about the gift of tongues. So, before diving in, some announcements. Um, we take Sunday school topics by months since this month is ending. Next month, uh, next Sunday will be the first Sunday in April. We will begin a new topic. So come next month and next Sunday for our talk on salvation. Uh, a talk about soteriology, the study of salvation. Um, let's see, another announcement is if you're newish, we have these little cards on, I think they're on all the tables, and you can come get a card, or we have them in the back as you leave. Get a card, fill it out with your information. We'd love to put you on an email list and, um, and uh, get your information. We'll give you a, a welcome CD just as a little gift. It's got some songs on there. Um, it's just kind of cool. Our way of saying thanks for coming this morning and checking it out. So, yeah. Those are announcements. Look, everybody look at the skillet. If you got a skillet, that's the, the notes. The first point on the inside of your notes is, why does tongues seem like such a big deal? And, and I mean that by saying tongues is often the gift of tongues, which we'll talk about today and really define today. So if it's new to you, um, that is perfectly fine. We'll, we'll kind of intro it in a second. But I'm sure most of you have heard of the gift of tongues. And, and sometimes some of you have heard about the gift of tongues in very negative light. Some of you have heard about tongues in a very positive light. It's, it's often the issue that divides churches over the charismatic gifts. Are you a tongue-talking church or are you not a tongue-talking church? What does your church believe? Do you, do, you, do, you, do you believe that the gift is for today? Do you not believe that the gift is for today? It's a very divisive issue. It, it brings up arguments and discussions. And those things are all... I guess all well and good, in, as long as in your mind you know that the gift of tongues is not the biggest deal in the Bible. The biggest deal in the Bible is Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. That's the biggest deal. Gift of tongues, it's, it's you know, we could, I could say it's a side issue. It's not a salvational issue. It's not a huge doctrinal issue. Um, because some churches would say, like New Life Church, that the gift of tongues is for today. Other churches who are our brothers and sisters in Christ would disagree and say it's not for today. And so I, I grew up in a, a church that was cessationalist, meaning the gifts have ceased. And, and, and I, I'm very familiar with, with churches that, 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 and very familiar with the argument that the gift of tongues, that the gifts of the, the, gifts of the Spirit have ceased. And so most cessationalist church, churches would say, 
the, the, the sign gifts, the gifts that are miraculous healings, miracles, prophecy, gift of tongues, those gifts have ceased at a certain time because nowadays we have the Bible. We don't need those sign gifts. That's the argument. And so I remember being at my cessationalist church um, in college and, and they would say, oh, we don't believe in healings for today. And yet at every church meeting, we would gather for prayer. People would share prayer requests. And sometimes their prayer requests would be, oh, my, my aunt is, is battling with cancer. And then in this cessationalist church, we don't believe in healings. But we would pray for this person's aunt who has cancer. We'd pray, God, would you be with aunt so-and-so as she battles cancer? Would you, would you be with the doctors as they try to heal her and, and diagnose her. And God, would you, would you just uh, lay your hand on her and, and heal her of cancer? But, but then like, and so I was like, I was confused. Like, do we not believe in healings? It's like, no, we don't believe in miraculous healings like that happened in the Bible, but we, be, we still believe that God can heal. And I was like, mm, that's kind of weird, but whatever. And, and then um, the gift of miracles. Um, so a cessationalist church would say, we don't believe in miracles. We don't believe in the miracles like they happened in the Bible. That was for Bible times. They, they don't happen anymore. And yet, like I remember a woman's story, she was sharing a praise report of, of what God did and she was involved in a really bad accident. And so she came to the cessationalist church. They believe the miracles have ceased. And she was just saying, you know, I was involved in a really bad car accident. The car was crushed. The, the airbags all went off. Uh, the side passenger was totally crushed. Luckily, no one was in it. The back seat was totally crushed. Luckily, I was the only one in the car and angels she was she was just talking angels must have been all around me protecting me as i um didn't i I walked away from the car crash unharmed and everybody was just like yeah amen praise god and i was like but you don't believe in miracles isn't that a miracle angels being all around saving her from the car crash and they're like yeah you know we never had that conversation but it's like yeah that's that's not a miracle like in the bible but we you know we believe that that kind of thing can happen god's big right like yeah or the gift of prophecy if you if you ask the cessationalist church do you believe in the gift of prophecy they'll say no we believe those gifts have ceased um with the bible times but then at the, at the church I was at, which was a cessationalist church, they would talk about, um, oh, I, have a, I feel like I have a calling from God to, to, to do this or to go to this school. I feel as though it's a calling from God. Or someone else would say, you know, I just have this impression that, you know what, God's going to work this all out. God's going to work this situation out for the good. And, and, and by definition, like a calling or an impression from God by a loose definition, that's prophecy because you don't know, how could you know that without, you know, it, it's, you don't know that unless you know from God, unless you have some, you know, just a feeling that is from God alone. It's not a natural thing to know that it's all going to work out. It's not a natural thing to know that you have a calling from God unless you're listening to God. And so those things, like, you know, it's almost like you can, you can coat with frosting the gift of prophecy and just call it a calling. You can coat with frosting the gift of healing and say, yeah, it's not like healing, like, you know, Jesus grabbed a person by the arm and, and pulled them up and, and then they stood and they, they were crippled from life. But, but we still pray for healings. You can, you can kind of frost that with, uh, with frosting and, and make it sound good. But as soon as it comes to the gift of tongues... All hell breaks loose. <laughs> you can't sugarcoat um, 
the gift of tongues. And what I mean by that is, is as soon as you, you talk about the gift of tongues to someone who believes that the, the, the gifts have ceased, and that's the issue that stirs up emotions. That's the issue where there's a lot of misconceptions and questions and people saying things, and, and you hear things like, oh, you don't have the Holy Spirit unless you speak in tongues. And we talked about that last time. We don't believe that's true. But, um, but, but you hear those kinds of things, and you get this weird impression about what is the gift of tongues. And then maybe in your mind you think, oh, a, a trance must come over, come over you. And, you. and you lay on the ground and you shake and you speak in an unknown language. And you're like, dude, I don't want that to happen to me. That's weird. There's, and, and, and so you have misconceptions about what the gift of tongues is. And, and it's the issue sometimes that separates churches. Don't you think? Has that been your, if you go to cessationalist churches, they're, they're very open to praying for people with cancer. They're very open to, to, you know, talking about, you know, like in hindsight, oh, there must have been a miracle. But as soon as you talk about the gift of tongues, that's the weird one. That's the one that separates and puts up the wall. So let's look at it in scripture. You want to look at the examples in scripture today? Let's look at it. In your notes, it says glossolalia. Everyone say that word. It's a fun word to say. Glossolalia. Come on, don't, don't be shy. Glossolalia. It's, it's a fun word. It's a really long word. It's an impressive word because it's long. Uh, glossolalia as used in the New Testament. And glossolalia is actually two Greek words combined as one. Uh, literally means speaking in tongues. The lalia is the speaking. The glossia is the tongue. And so... How is this word used in Scripture? And I want to say, I want to show you that it's used five different ways in Scripture. One, two, three, four, five. The first, um, the first time, uh, the first way, I should say, that, that tongues or the word tongue, glossia, is used is for the red thing in the mouth. This is a tongue, right? And, and on your cover, Patrick, the guy who makes the skillet, thought it would be really funny if the, he had the cover was a picture of a cat sticking out its tongue. <laughs> I don't know why. I don't make the covers. Patrick makes the covers. That's just precious. Isn't that precious? A little cat with his tongue out. How precious. Anyways, so the word tongue <coughs> in, the, in the Bible, like, like it's, it's very similar to our word. Glossia is the word for tongue. And we use the word tongue in lots of different ways. And the word in Greek, glossia, is used in lots of different ways. And it's kind of cool that the Greek and the English have a similar, that the, it's almost like a one-for-one word, uh, you know, e- equality. Sometimes it's not like that. Like, for instance, the word love. In our language, we have the word love, which can mean anything from I love pizza to I love God to I love my wife. And it's the same word. And, and you're like, do you love pizza like you love God? It's like, no, not really. <laughs> it's a little different, I'd say. Um, but it's all the same word. And he, in Greek, there's four words. And maybe you've done some studies of those gr- four Greek words that, that we use for love. Um, but for the word tongue, it seems like it's a, it's a very similar word because the word glossy means, could mean the red thing in your mouth. For instance, um, James chapter 3, we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us. We can turn the whole animal or take ships for an example. Although, although they are large and driven by strong winds, they're steered by a very small rudder wherever the pl- pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue, 
The glossia is a small part of the body and it makes great boasts. He's talking literally about the red little thing in your mouth. That's the word glossia. So that's one. So if you're taking notes, number one is, um, how is it used in the New Testament? Number one, the tongue in the mouth. So that's a word. So it's just, let's start off small. Let's figure out this Greek word glossia. It's, It's the tongue, the red thing in your mouth. The next one, number two, is is glossia could be used as a normal language. I am speaking English right now. If I wanted to be silly and weird, I I could say, and it would make perfect sense, that I am speaking in the English tongue right now, right? And that's how you can use that word. Same in the Greek. It's, it's for a normal language. Like on my mission trip, when I go to India this summer, I, I, someone could start speaking Hindi to me, or Urdu, or what language do they speak? Hindi? Where's Noah? Hindi? Okay. Uh, and and, and, and they're, they're speaking Hindi to me. I could say, oh, I don't speak the Hindi tongue. And so it's just, it's another word for language. So number two is, and it's used like glossia, is used like that in the Bible. Um, like people say, I, I heard him speaking in my own language. And it's, so it's a normal language. Number two, glossolalia as used in the New Testament, a normal language. Okay, here's where we start getting into the fun stuff. Here's where we start getting into the spiritual stuff because there's three other ways. It seems like three distinct other ways in which the term glossolalia is used in the New Testament, in the New Testament Greek. Number three is a language spoken but unlearned. If you're taking notes, number three, a language spoken but unlearned. A language spoken but unlearned. And if, if, you're, if you're further, if you, if, you're, if you want to do some more research and study on this, the, the term that uh, theologians often use for this type of speaking in tongues is called xenoglossolalia. And so it's that word glossolalia with the prefix xeno, X-E-N-O. That's the, if you, if you, if you want to Google it later or something, you could type in xeno, X-E-N-O, glossolalia, and, and you'll find that xeno means, it's the, it's the Greek word for foreign. So it's speaking in foreign languages, but spiritually somehow, miraculously speaking in foreign languages because you've never learned that language. And if you want to research this some more, you can read Acts chapter 2. The whole chapter is this story of Pentecost, the first the, the first time in which it talks about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And you could read the story and how there's 120 people, 120 disciples of Jesus, Christians. They're in an upper room. They're, they're laughing. They're joking. And then all of a sudden, it says, what seemed to be tongues of fire came and separated on all of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And they all began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. And they were staying in Jerusalem. And then it, it goes on to say that there were people visiting from all over because it's this big, it's this Pentecost, this celebration. And so there's people from all over in Jerusalem. And it, it goes on to mention that 15 different languages were spoken by the disciples in in a spiritual way. They had never learned those languages, but it it says like all these different languages that's hard to pronounce. Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phyrecia. It goes on and on. um, And it names 15 different languages that the people heard, heard the disciples speaking in their own languages. That's pretty cool, which has always brought into my mind this question of, okay, so the disciples are speaking in tongues and the people are hearing them in their own home language. Was the true miracle in the speaking 
Or was the true miracle in the, in the hearing? Have you ever thought about that? Like, was it, was it the miracle that the person heard them in their own language? Or was it the miracle that they were actually speaking? If, if you were there, would you have heard... Not, would, if you were there, could you have heard nonsense? Or could you have heard them speaking in that language? Or, I don't know. I don't know. It doesn't really say. In fact, it was a confusing situation because uh, Peter... Because some of them, it says in verse 13 that some people there just made fun of them and said that they had too much wine to drink. And then Peter stands up and says, no, they're not drunk. It's only nine in the morning, which is, it doesn't seem to be that great of an argument from what I know about college students. And, but anyway, it was a good argument back then. Um, ha, ha, ha. Everybody calm down, just lighten up. Um, so Peter says, it's only nine in the morning. They're not drunk. Um, and, and so the situation that happened there is definitely a, a weird situation. The, you know, the, comparing it to everyone being drunk, that's a weird thing that's going on. But what had happened was, was people understood the disciples speaking in their own language. So that's number, uh, I believe, number three, yeah. Speaking in a foreign language, speaking a language spoken but unlearned. A language spoken but unlearned. And that's xenoglossia. If you want to be a cool theologian and, and research that later, you can. Number four is um, a speech needing interpretation for church. And I think this is different than the, the language spoken that's, that's not unlearned. So the number four is a, a speech needing interpretation for church. And here's where we'll turn. If you want to turn to 1 Corinthians 14, that's the, we read the 1 Corinthians uh, 14, verse 1. But it goes on and on in this chapter. Paul corrects the Corinthians about speaking in tongues in church. And, and this, this sort of speaking in tongues seems interesting. It's like, for instance, 1 Corinthians 14, starting in verse 26. 1 Corinthians 14, 26. It says, What shall I say, brothers? When I come together, uh, when you come together, everyone has a hymn or a word instruction, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. All these things must be done for the strengthening of the church. And then listen. Anyone who speaks in a tongue, two or at the most, should speak, and then one at a time, and someone must interpret. So you're meeting together, and, and what was, I guess, common in that time was a bunch of people just speaking gibberish, and, and so you imagine, imagine coming to church, you, see, you, you come to church, a bunch of speak, people speak in gibberish, you're speaking in gibberish, and then, and, then, and then you all go out to Chili's and you talk about how awesome church was. And that was church for them. I mean, not, I mean, they didn't have Chili's, but you know what I'm saying, right? You come to church, everyone speaks in gibberish, then you go home. What kind of church service is that? And Paul says, that's not a good church service. Paul says, one at a time. There needs to be order in church. There, there, one, two should speak at the most, one at a time. And then someone should interpret what they said. And so that interpretation there is interesting. I, and I think it's a spiritual interpretation. Because 1 Corinthians 14, verse 13 says, anyone who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret what he says. And so you, you, you pray that you may interpret what you just said, that this babbling that you just did, pray that, that you may interpret what you said, pray that someone else may interpret what you said in the context of a church. And I think that the whole Corinthians example, I think is just an interesting thing because Paul 
Paul has so much to say about speaking in tongues and so much of what he has to say about it is order. It must be done in order. It must be done in in a good way, in a way that makes sense and and not a crazy, chaotic way. He's, he's, He's correcting them. And see, I came from a church, I grew up in a Catholic church, um, and, and so as a Catholic little boy sitting in church, for me, my, back, my church background was me sitting down nicely, hands folded. If I ever started to talk to my brother or hit him or something, my parents would, would, would talk to me later or spank me later and say, no, you need to sit quietly and be good in church. So I, for me, church was sitting quietly and being good. I knew how to do that. Um, I think the churches in Corinth... People came from a very pagan background. And from what I can understand from this context of Corinth, that this pagan worship was going into a temple, literally like drinking alcohol and, and getting drunk, getting, working yourself up into an ecstatic frenzy. In, in Corinth was the temple to Aphrodite on this hill. And you can go up there and, and, and pay a prostitute, sleep with a prostitute as an act of worship. And so if, imagine if your church experience of your uh, church, I use that with quotations, your church experience, your religious experience before becoming a Christian was going to church, getting drunk, getting ecstatic, um, praying, praying loud and fast and sleeping with a prostitute. Imagine that's the background you're coming from. You become a Christian and come to church, you're going to need some help in how to act like a Christian, Right? And so, and so in the same way, Paul, Paul has a lot to say to the Corinthians. He says, you know, one at a time, in order, this church thing is not about an emotional workup, hysterical experience. But church should be, you know, one at a time. If, if someone has a prophecy, everyone stop, listen to that prophecy. Two, three, four, five, ten people shouldn't all be screaming prophecies at the same time. That's not of God. God is a God of order. And so Paul... In, in this whole talk, in this whole language, Paul says, you know, if you have a tongue and it's for the church, you can get up and you can speak in tongues. But Paul kind of talks about it's going to sound like babble. It's going to sound like nonsense. Therefore, someone needs to interpret it. Or you should pray that you might interpret what you just said. And so that's, that's number four, a, a, a speech needing interpretation from the church, just looking at scripture. The final one is something that, um, uh, it's not, it's a phrase that you may have heard before. It's not a phrase actually used in the Bible, but I think there's biblical precedent for it. And that is a prayer language. Number five, uh, glossolalia as used in the New Testament, a prayer language. And that, that is a phrase not used in the Bible. However, I'm going to read some scriptures and, and show you that what is meant by a prayer language, I think, is clearly in scripture. So a prayer language is, is, something, is, is speaking in tongues, babbling, just kind of letting your, letting your mind go and, and speaking words um, unto God in a, in a serious prayer moment. But you're just kind of babbling with your mouth. But you're listening to God, you're speaking to God, you're allowing, you know, some people talk about allowing the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit's words to come out of your mouth. You're not sure what you're saying, but you're praying in a tongue, praying in tongues. It's a prayer language. For instance, here's here's the verse. I'm going to give you two that I think is just clearly about this. This is a prayer language. So 1 Corinthians 14, 14 says, For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. So here's this idea of praying in a tongue. Your, your, your spirit prays, 
but your mind is unfruitful. You don't know what you're saying. You're just kind of babbling and you're praying in that tongue. And then going back to 1 Corinthians 14, this is, uh, this is the continuation of that passage that says, um, uh, let's see, I read it this morning. For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. Indeed, no one understands him. He utters mysteries with his spirit. So it's turning off your mind, babbling, but, but being open to God. And then finally, 1 Corinthians 14.28. So actually I have three scriptures to give you. 1 Corinthians 14.28. This is, this is at the end of that passage. It says, you know, if, if someone prophesies, uh, speak one, one at a time, and then, or someone speaks in tongues in church, um, one at a time, and then someone interpret. But then it goes to this and says, if there's no interpreter, so you're speaking in tongues. If there's no interpreter, the speaker, does it say, should just be quiet and not speak at all? No, it says, if there's no interpreter, the speaker should be quiet in the church, but speak to himself and to God. So you're, if, if you're speaking in tongues, there's no interpreter, speak to yourself and to God. And maybe some of you have seen this before at New Life, maybe during worship, someone's, you know, maybe worshiping and singing along in a song, and then the, you, you kind of listen and you look at them, and, and they're not singing the lyrics, they're just kind of babbling, and you're kind of like, what in the world are they doing? Well, I think there's biblical precedent for that, that they're, they're speaking to themselves and to God. They're, they're mumbling, they're, they're babbling uh, from, from, a, from a natural perspective, but they're, they're, they're using a prayer language. So that's number five, uh, a prayer language. And as I've, I've been researching um, speaking in tongues, it's always fascinating to get uh, to see like what the scientists think about speaking in tongues. And so I've seen a lot of documentaries. It seems like every new, like Dateline 2020 Newsline have all done specials on speaking in tongues. And they all involve, maybe you've seen one before, they all involve like someone going into like a, is it like an EEG, EKG, EKG? The mind thing that was EKG, EKG, EEG, EEG. Thank you. All the nurses in here are like, you dummy. You don't even know what it is. Anyways, EEG, right? EEG, got it. KGB, don't mock. (laughs) Anyways, a machine that like shows which part of your brain is active um they always like there's this you know they show videotape this person going into this little machine and the and the the thing is reading what parts of their mind is active and they start babbling speaking in tongues and then the the readout thing shows which part of their minds were active and this is just interesting to me and i share it now because it's interesting and it has to do with speaking in tongues it's it's kind of science's take on speaking in tongues and all of the documentaries i've seen say we don't know what's going on here, but this activity of the brain when someone is speaking in tongues is, is very different than any other activity a person can do. And they, they, they talk about how, oh, when someone's speaking or someone's praying, like if someone's like thanking God in English and they speak English, then, then like their temporal lobe is being used, which is the part when they're used, when that lights up when they're speaking in tongues, but also the frontal lobe and another part of the brain when they're thinking through and praying in English. And then like they, 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 uh, scanned a Buddhist monk like deep into meditation. They said, you know, this part of his brain, his frontal lobe is always kind of on. He's, he's thinking about it. He's concentrating on um, saying a phrase, whatever. He's, he's concentrating. And so his frontal lobe lights up when, he, when they do the machine and show what parts of his brain is, is going. But when it comes to speaking in tongues, there's no like frontal brain activity. It's all like 
uh, it's, it's called the, what is it, the temporal lobe? The temporal lobe having to do with language alone. And so it's like you're speaking a language and, and your, your frontal, your, your, your higher level of thinking is turned off. And so the scientist, from purely a scientific um, viewpoint, was just saying speaking in tongues may be one of the best ways to relax. And so here he is. He's not a Christian. He's just talking about you know, what he's seeing on the EEG machine. And he's just saying, it seems like, you know, you're turning off your mind and you're allowing your, your mouth to move. It seems like a great stress reliever. It seems like a really cool thing to do was the scientific guy's this thoughts about speaking in tongues, which I just thought was interesting. And I thought I would share here to say that it kind of represents what some of these scriptures talk about, that your mind is unfruitful when your spirit prays, that it is a part of, you know, allowing God, allowing the spirit to flow through you in such a way as, as you're using your mouth, you're using your noises, but it's, it's turning off your, your frontal lobe activity, if you want to talk about it in a scientific way, and it's um, concentrating on 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 just the sounds of the words that in and of themselves mean nothing, but it, there's a spiritual exercise here. So that being said, and, and that may confuse you more than help you, but um, you, you'll see it if you do research on the gift of tongues, this, this, this interaction between, between science and spirituality. So I have a question for you. The question is, does everyone speak in tongues? Paul asks the same question. Turn, if you want to, to 1 Corinthians 12. 1 Corinthians 12, 29 You did catch a niner in there. 1 Corinthians 12, 29. Paul is asking a rhetorical question. Paul uses rhetoric a lot. He asks, like in Romans, he asks, uh, where grace increases, where, excuse me, where sin increases, grace increases all the more. Should we go on sinning so that grace should increase by, uh, at the same level? Kind of, and the answer is no, we shouldn't. That's a rhetorical question. It's using rhetoric. In other places, he, he, the rhetorical question is a yes answer. In some places, it's a no answer. So here's his rhetorical question. 1 Corinthians twelve twenty nine: Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers? Do all work in miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? Question mark. Those are rhetorical questions. And usually from the context, you can answer very clearly what the answer is. Do all speak in tongues? Yes. Or do all speak in tongues? No. From the passage. If you look at the passage, everyone turn there. Or turn there later when you, when you, when you want to look at it later, because this is fascinating to me. This passage, 1 Corinthians 12. The latter part is all about how the church has many parts Verse 12 says, the body is a unit. It's made up of different parts. So it is with Christ. And he goes on to say uh, that, that, you know, if he goes on to this analogy to say the foot should not say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body. It would be for that reason that cease to be part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I should not belong to the body. So he's making this example that in the church, all of us, I mean, look around. Some people are, some people are, awake. Some people are not awake. Some people are girls. Some people are boys. Some people are smart. Some people are silly. Some people are funny. Some people are not funny. Some people are very serious. We all have different gifts. We all have different personalities. And yet we're all part of the church. And and we shouldn't say, oh, just because I'm not like that person or that person, I don't belong in the church. We're all different. We're all not alike. And so he goes on to give more and more of that example and then ends with a rhetorical question. Therefore, since we're all different, do all, are all prophets? The answer is clearly, 
No, no, we're not all prophets. Are all teachers? No, we're not all teachers. There's some teachers. There's a lot of teachers. Do all work miracles? No, we don't. Not all of us. Do all have the gifts of healing? No. The, the answer is a continual no. We're not all alike. Do all speak in tongues? No. The answer is just a clear, like, just from the context, no. And so, therefore, I think, I, I just want to take the pressure out of the room. If, the, if, if you're in here and you're like, man, I've never spoken tongues, you may be thinking, I must be less than a Christian if, if, um, if I don't speak in tongues because, you know, only, only great Christians speak in tongues. But Paul is just clearly saying, not all speak in tongues. Furthermore, the gift of tongues, some people say, is the least of the gifts. It's talked about as, you know, you should have gifts that, that build up the church body that help everyone. Those are the best gifts. The gift of love, the gift of, um, and in fact, we, we went on, remember a, a couple Sundays ago, we went on to name 20 gifts of the Spirit that, that, uh, that are clearly in the Bible. The word of wisdom, word of knowledge, faith, healing, miracles, prophecy, distinguishing of spirits, tongues, interpretation of tongues, apostleship, teacher, helping others, administration, serving, encouraging, giving to others, leadership, showing mercy, uh, evangelist, and pastors are all gifts talked about in the Bible. So, so this question, to end, the, to end with this question, how do you know if you've been baptized in the Holy Spirit? I think, I think some people would just, just quickly, I think too quickly say, oh, you know you've been baptized in the Holy Spirit if you speak in tongues. But I don't think that's a one-for-one one correlation. I don't think that the, an emotional experience or the spiritual experience of speaking in tongues means you're baptized in the Holy Spirit. I think, first of all, I think the gift of tongues can be uh, made up or faked. I think that in, even in history and culture and pagan cultures, uh, pagans, there's records of pagans speaking in tongues. And, and so the gift of tongues can be faked. I, I, I just want to tell you, I want to encourage you if, you, if, if you, it's almost like if, if you think you're baptized in the Holy Spirit and you have some sort of fruit of the Holy Spirit, well, then you know, you, you, you have the Holy Spirit. You, you've been baptized. Another word for baptized is immersed. You've been immersed and filled with the Holy Spirit and there'll be fruit of that action. It's almost like, it's almost like, and, and pardon the, it's, it's not a one-for-one one correlation, but um, it's almost like being in love. Do you, how do I know I love my wife, Erica? Well, I just do, duh. It's like, duh, I mean, we're married and we're, there's fruit of our love. It's like, duh, of course, of course we're in love. But, but, you know, you could question that and scientifically try to research that and, and get really confused. But, but I think that the same is, I mean, maybe this is probably a better example. How do you know you're saved? Like, oh, I made a decision. But is, you know, I, I made a decision and said a prayer. But is making a decision and saying a prayer how you're saved? Well, kind of. But if you're truly saved, there's going to be fruit. You're going you're gonna to look back at that moment and say, my life did change. I have fruit. And Jesus talks about fruit that will last. And, and I think that is, if you want to know you have the Holy Spirit, if you want to know you've been filled with the Holy Spirit, if you want to know you're saved, you look at the fruit of that. You look at, uh, do I operate in, in the gifts? Whether you speak in tongues or not, what, do, do I have the gift of love? Am I, do I, Jesus talks about having the Holy Spirit dwell inside of you, convicting you of sin. If you sin, can you just go on sinning and not care? Well, maybe, maybe, maybe you can because you don't have the Spirit dwelling inside of you. Most Christians will talk about sinning and making a mistake and then being 
convicted under the weight of of the Holy Spirit and and going to God and asking for forgiveness and knowing that he has forgiven you. But that conviction, that the fruit of of the Holy Spirit living inside of you is acting in the gifts of the Spirit. The fruit of the Holy Spirit living inside of you is conviction, is is continuing in in the gifts. And so I think think you'll just know. You'll know that you know. If you have the Holy Spirit inside of you, you'll know. It'll be obvious to you. You're like, of course I have this Holy Spirit. I have have the fruit of it to show in my life. I just know that I know because, because I know. In hindsight, that, that idea that I, I started with today, that hindsight is 2020. And so if, you're, if, you're, if you want the Holy Spirit, you can, you can pray and you can ask for the Holy Spirit. You can ask to be immersed. You can ask to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And, and, you can, and then after that experience, you can say, oh, was that really God? I, I don't think you should say, oh, I know that it was God because I got really emotional. That, that's not the fruit of, of God's work, just emotionality in and of itself. The fruit of God's work is, is, is love, is faith, is hope, the gifts of the Holy Spirit. So um, wh- whatever your testimony is um, of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, whatever your testimony is uh, about salvation, if it's, if it's really of God's work, there'll be fruit, and it'll be good fruit. I want to invite Jordan. This is Jordan Haley. He's a really cool guy to come up. Um, Jordan and I uh, had lunch the other day, and, um, and I asked Jordan to share his baptism of the Holy Spirit testimony, because uh, he's, he's a really cool guy. Like, like I've said, he's really cool. And uh, um, he has his master's in divinity from Oral Roberts University. It's like this three-year Bible degree, and it's, he had to study really intensely to get that. And so the other day, we were having lunch, and I had just studied for that whole week. I'd studied all that morning. We had lunch, and we began talking about the Holy Spirit, and he pretty much taught me everything I now know. Um, <laughs> And so he's really smart, and he told me his testimony. And I think it's just a testimony of how, how God works and how you can look back and see this process of God working and the good fruit. So, Jordan. Well, thank you for the nice intro. You're welcome. Um, I was fortunate <coughs> to grow up in a Christian home. I grew up in a church that was very open to the gifts. But an interesting little story I have to tell you is when I was two years old. My parents were being mentored by this older couple. And the big part of the mentorship was about the Holy Spirit, the gifts, etc. Okay? Later on in life, my mom tells me, she's like, yeah, during the process of us being mentored about the Holy Spirit, I was sitting right here on the couch, you're sitting right there, and you're two, and you start speaking in tongues. I don't remember it. I have no recollection of it at all. And so I look at that and how awesome that is. And the question isn't, was I baptized in the Holy Spirit at that time? Some of you may think that or wonder that or have that question in your mind. That's not the focus. I think the coolest thing ever is that my parents were learning about the Holy Spirit. And then right then and there, God used their son, this little kid, to make an awesome thing real to them. And that is the focus of that. Okay, moving on from there. Growing up in the church... uh, there was this big youth conference, and you had to be 12 years old to go to it. My parents were youth leaders, and so they were taking people for years, and I was never, never able to go. So I remember I was 12 at this conference. They were talking about the Holy Spirit. They were talking about the gifts, talking about tongues, and I'm sitting there going, I want this, I want this, I want this. So I run forward, 
when they do an altar call, and I am like, I, I'm going to get this. I'm going to speak in tongues tonight. I'm walking away with this. Okay? And so I'm like, I'm stoked. And I'm, like, I'm actually hoping for like kind of one of those like lightning bolt experiences where it's like I get like struck by God and like I start like saying these amazing things. Maybe I'm on the ground. Maybe I'm laughing. Who knows? Like the Holy Spirit just takes over me. This is, I'm 12. I'm thinking this is going to be nuts. This is going to be like a surreal experience. And so here I am, and I'm just sitting there. I'm starting to get mad. Like nothing's happening. I'm looking around. Like I, these other people look like they're like really happy and like they're experiencing God. I'm like, come on. I want to experience you. Come on. What's, what's going on? And so I actually leave the conference feeling like oh, disappointed. Like I didn't come. I didn't get what I wanted. And the funny thing is, is I cannot tell you the date I was saved. And I can't even tell you the date I was filled with the Holy Spirit, baptized in the Holy Spirit, however you want to say it. I can't tell you the date I even spoke in tongues. But I remember after that conference, it kind of just developed in my life. Because I think at that conference, I was so focused on the actual element of speaking in tongues. I was so focused on the gift. I wasn't so much focused on my relationship with the Lord and growing and maturing in Him. I, like, I wanted it. I wanted it quick. I didn't want to work for it. I just wanted it. And I think when you look at salvation, you, you look at our our relationship with the Lord, you look at all that, it is about maturing and it's about growing and it's about continually seeking the Lord and things will develop in us. Things will develop from the inside out. Like we have the Holy Spirit. You, you, the Holy Spirit is instilled in you. And the thing is, you can't, you can't deny that you have it. When you are, are saved, you receive the Holy Spirit and then you have this baptism where it's like this extra powering and there's all these questions. When's it come? And it's like, don't get hung up on that stuff. Because this is the reality. God is an infinite being, and we have finite minds. We cannot understand everything about him. You cannot fit everything about him in your mind. And so what you need to do is seek after him, learn about him, and grow and allow him to mature you. And these things will develop, develop, and seek it. Practice. And right now, in my life, tongues is a big part. Um, I've never operated in—I've never spoke— uh, another foreign language before. I've never operated in that form. I've never given a tongue and someone Im- interpret it. I've never interpreted a tongue. But I am very active practicing my prayer language. And it is a big part of my life. And it's one of those things, it's kind of when we're talking about relaxing. For me, it's like when I've had a hard day, to me, and I just want to spend time with the Lord or I'm longing to spend time with Him, I'll read the Word. I'll pray in English, but then I'll pray in tongues also. And it really does help me relax. And so, it's one of those things that it's awesome when it's a part of your life, but don't feel like you are in trouble or you're, something's wrong with you. And I want to finish with one more story yeah. real quick. I had a friend um, back when I was doing my uh, master's degree, and I was working with a department, and I was kind of in a mentorship role over him and he was a phenomenal worship leader and he had a lot of giftings a lot of talents and i i mean just looking at this kid worship you can just see the holy spirit just using him and i've seen him, the holy spirit use him in so many ways in his life and one day he's like jordan uh i don't speak in tongues and he's like waiting for me to say what's wrong with you I, I was just like okay okay and he's like i feel like I don't have the Holy Spirit, or I, I feel, and he started beating himself up. And I'm like, I look at this kid, straight in the eye, and I said, 
And I just started encouraging him. I said, I've seen the Holy Spirit working in your life. Here, 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 and here. I've been a part of your life. And he started realizing, he's like, wow. And like he beat himself up so much and denied the work of the Holy Spirit in his life because he didn't speak in tongues. And I think he got so hung up on it, it just kind of held him back. So I encourage you also, don't get hung up on it. Relax. It'll develop. It's one of those things, again, you can't understand every little thing. If you're one of those people that has to understand every inch of the way, I pray for you. I ask you to relax. And I ask you to really seek the Lord and just trust Him. So that's, that's my story. That's good. Let's thank Jordan for sharing it. It's really good. Yeah. Thanks, dude. Um, yeah, I think what Jordan says makes a lot of sense, that it's, that it's a process, that and a lot of times we know in hindsight what God has done. I think that's what makes testimony so powerful, that we can look back and, and clearly see God's direction and role in our life, while maybe at the time it was confusing and it's filled with joy, but it was filled with, I'm not sure where this is going, I'm confused. And, and that's, that's okay. We should seek out the gifts. We should seek understanding but we should never feel as though we have to understand everything in the moment or at the moment, that God himself will reveal things as we go along. So I just, I just want to close in prayer. And I think it's really cool that um, big church over there, the, the, the main church, so, so many of you will, will go over there. And, and Brady is, is closing his sermon series on the, the gifts of the Holy Spirit and the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's cool how neither I nor Brady you know, planned to, to speak about these things at the same time. But it's, it's like it's a part of our church right now. We're, we as a church are growing in this area and thinking through it. And so I want to just pray over you right now that, that even as you, as you sit, you'll be open to the Holy Spirit filling you. The, the, the language that sometimes is used in the, in the New Testament is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And baptism just means filling or immersing in. That's what it means to immerse in, in the Holy Spirit. And if you love God and you love Jesus, then, then that's just a part of what you want. It's you want the filling of the Holy Spirit. You may be af- afraid of some of the gifts, but I pray that, that the, fear will, the fear, the confusion will, will be relieved. It'll go away. And, and, and some of you, many of you, will, will, will develop in the gifts even today and, and, and during the Sunday morning as, as Brady speaks as well about the Holy Spirit, that either you'll receive it as you pray, corporately like this, or whether you receive prayer by someone who, who prays over you, or, or maybe it's by yourself. I remember I shared my testimony, and I was baptized in the Holy Spirit, I would say, filled with the Holy Spirit, spoken tongues, and I was just all by myself, just asking the Lord for that gift. And so I want to pray over you right now. I want to say just, God, we thank you for your Holy Spirit. We thank you that you fill us up, that God, when we ask, when we seek, you are there. You're not far off. God, we pray for, for you to fill us, each and every one of us. God, we receive your Holy Spirit. We want to be immersed in your Holy Spirit. God, Holy Spirit, we ask you right now to come inside of us. Fill us up. God, if you're already inside of us, we just want more. We want more of you. We want you to fill us up more. God, we want to act in the gifts. We want to do. And everybody said, amen. All right, friends. Blessings. Go in peace. We'll see you next week when we talk about salvation.